Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where we solemnly swear we're up to no good in Mad Max to the Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 75, which begins with the mighty Wes kept on a chain held by the Dark Lord Humongous, and it ends with the Mad Max Express thundering forth from the compound. Julia, you are already cracking up. I, I can tell you're I am in a this, good mood for this minute. This might be my favorite episode we've done so far. <laughs> well, that probably has a lot to do with the fact that our very special guests today, our fresh eyes for this Friday episode, belong to Gary Roby and Victoria Cope from the Harry Potter Minute podcast. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for Hello. having us. Hi. As I mentioned, you are the hosts of the uh, monumental and Herculean <laughs> project that is the Harry Potter Minute podcast. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, I um, I started listening to Star Wars Minute, I think when they were still in doing Empire Strikes Back, and Victoria and I had been talking for a long time about doing Harry Potter, and we attempted doing like a like a chapter-by-chapter chapter podcast first that only ran for the first season. There's so many podcasts that do that, right? Like Harry <laughs> Potter probably has dozens of podcasts where people are going through the chapters, and so I was kind of... Uh, I don't know, overwhelmed with the idea <laughs> of doing every single minute of the Harry Potter movies. And then I think at the end of one of the Back to the Future seasons, Cass and Norman announced that they were doing Lord of the Rings. And I jumped on that like right away, like, oh, my God, you guys are doing Lord of the Rings. Like it makes the idea of doing Harry Potter a little less overwhelming. And um, I don't know. They very heavily encouraged us. Like a lot of the people from the dueling genre kind of group were all for like, yeah, you should do this. Like, send us the episode if we like it. Like, we'll have you on the site. And Scott was really kind of really great and let us do that. So it's been fun. We're uh, we just started working on season two. So what's it like working with dueling genre? We've had Scott Corelli on for one guest episode and uh i'm very curious as to what it's like working with him as sort of a content creator well it's it's been really nice victoria and i did like i said we, we did a couple of podcasts before harry potter minute started i don't think any of those are still available to listen to actually because we uh we were still really amateurish then scott really helped like get like the website set up like we're on the dueling genre website and he really provided us with uh with like a place to host our files which made it really easy like that cut some costs on our end down so i don't know i've had anytime i had like weird questions especially early on because I, I i still was learning how to edit and figuring out like how to cut the movie up into individual minutes for our guests and <laughs> scheduling and doing a lot of that stuff which uh, which was really nice but because there's so many other shows that are going on I think that, that Scott really, um, he kind of really relies on each of the show hosts to sort of manage themselves, which which I appreciate. That means that we can have the freedom to sound different than the other dueling genre shows. And uh, and then we cross-promote each other with little, like, intro, like, promotional episodes, like, at the beginning of some of our episodes, which is nice. Because, like, the other guys on the Dueling Genre Network are all really fun, too. Like, I think we're all very similarly, like-minded in that way, between, like, us and Cass and Norman and the guys that are doing Toy Story and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and just so many podcasts now that are over there. And it's been it's been fun. I think it's a good time. Yeah. Very cool. With being emboldened by Cassandra and Norman <laughs> doing the Lord of the Rings minute, obviously the Harry Potter movies, there are eight of them and all of them are incredibly long. Mm. I guess 
Yeah, I think our next one, I think Chamber of Secrets is the longest at like yeah. two hours and 45 minutes, something like that. <laughs> Victoria just made a face at me because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize. I'm like, oh, really? I think oh, so. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you steal yourselves for something that monumental? Because it just seems daunting. I wasn't even able to finish my sentence there just because <laughs> the entire idea just silenced me. I think it's, it helps that we have a routine now. Yeah. We have a really, really good routine that like works for us and works with our schedule, which doesn't allow us to really be too far ahead, mm. which is a good thing and a bad thing. So we kind of have to just like take it as it is. Yeah. Our turnaround is really quick and I don't have any problems with doing episodes. Like I don't mind having a week where we don't have guests. I would love to be able to have a guest every week, but scheduling is, is really tight. And Victoria and I only have a couple days a week that we're really free for that. So I think... I think on the one hand, like that takes a little bit of weight off knowing that we can do a week by ourselves. Like people are here to listen to us talk about about Harry Potter and like we love having fresh voices on the show, but I haven't made that like a priority all the time just to kind of give us that little wiggle room because sometimes like schedules fall through and it's really hard to find someone else to take that time up. I feel like it's more it's more. Not necessarily stressful, but I feel like it's more <laughs> for Gary than than myself because Gary actually takes the time and and, and make notes and I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm the one that rolls out of bed like let me just interject what I feel and want to put in here and just sound like I know what I'm talking about and still sound like put together and great and just have Gary just look at me like you don't even take notes you, like how dare you, you blow me away <laughs> you blow me away because I take notes and I take the time sometimes sometimes I take a lot of time to do my notes and, and then you'll say something like, and I'm just like how did I not even think of that that's this amazing is I'm, this is why I'm here I don't, have, so to, I don't have to take notes it's just all in my head uh-huh. and then I don't know we know that we know that we have you know even when we start chamber we'll still have seven more movies movies to finish and so (laughs) on the one hand that seems like really daunting but on the other i kind of there's something we're gearing up for season two and the anticipation for me feels a lot like being a kid waiting for the books to come out again like oh my god we're gonna go to the bookstore at midnight and this thing is gonna happen there yeah but it's it's a little different but almost the same Uh you know I don't know. Exactly. I get it. I'm really eager. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm so ready for our next season to start. Gary's very excited. Oh, I can, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I can def- definitely sympathize. When we'd finished up Mad Max 79 and we're gearing up to start Road Warrior, yeah, I felt that excitement of starting something new. And I think I got a little bit burnt out after doing the first movie, which is like half the time of your Harry Potter movies almost. <laughs> That I got to take that break and I was so excited to start the new movie again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we took some time over the hiatus. Our listeners know we spent some time watching a new somewhat related movie every other week. But you guys have done something incredibly different with your hiatus material. You didn't take any sort of relaxing time <laughs> off for no, a reduced really. schedule. Again, it's all Gary's fault. <laughs> it's, all, yeah. it's all his fault. Uh, yeah. Ferris is, is Gary's favorite movie. Yeah. Like, mm. when he told me, like, we're going to do Ferris, I'm like, of course we're going to do Ferris. Like, <laughs> well, we had talked about, I had, I think, I think before we even started Harry Potter Minute, because that idea of, oh my God, we're going to have eight movies to cover. This is going to take forever. Like, if we just did a one-off thing, I think my pitch was Ferris, because that's a movie that I've, like, that's been precious for me since I was a little kid. Yeah, and it's a single standalone movie. Uh-huh. It's not too long. It's 103 minutes. And it's, we totally did it different. And it's totally different than Harry Potter. Yeah. So it's kind of, 
It was just something to do. And and I think for us, like, it kind of slated really nicely into where I wanted season two to fall for Harry Potter minute. Like, right. my plan had, for, had been for it to start sometime in November, probably the end of November. And the movie fit like exactly within the weeks because it's only a hundred minutes long. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, like if we put it right here, we don't have any overlap. We don't have to worry about recording two shows at once. And we can just keep this like rhythm going. I, I was worried. I'm the kind of person for me that when I'm working on something, like if I take a break from that, something, it gets really hard to like get that momentum going again. Mm-hmm. And so I think just being on this consistent, like we're recording at least once every week and just kind of like letting that continue has been really beneficial. Yeah, and you guys have been doing some really good work oh. over on Dueling Genre and releasing these podcasts. You've been very consistent in quality, I think. And I find you both very listenable. And <laughs> you may that. have heard this story elsewhere, but we like to tell people that before we <laughs> settled on the Mad Max series of movies and our listeners who have followed our career since the beginning of the year are going to be incredibly tired of hearing this, but we were kicking around the idea of doing the Harry Potter movies. Oh, no. And <laughs> we'll have to have you, you guys come as guests. I was say, you started your project about 30, 40 days before we released our first episode mm. of Mad Max. So we saw you start up and then sort of had to, I don't know, start back from square one and be like, okay, what else do we like? <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. It's, um, I think we're very fortunate to have started when we did. Originally, we didn't have the uh, the domain name for Harry Potter Minute, uh, like HarryPotterMinute.com. We did HP Minute because someone else already had the domain. And uh, mm-hmm. we were probably like two months into this show when I got told from the folks that do uh, um, Pirates of the Caribbean that they were also thinking about doing Harry Potter before we had started up. And so it's just I like that this is a franchise that people are really passionate about. And so we do have a lot of people to talk to and everyone has like fresh eyes on it. And uh, I don't know. I think we just got really lucky to start when we yeah, started. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, is. Julia is a major Potterhead nice. when it comes to <laughs> yeah. the entire series. Yeah, I kind of am. So for a little while, I was very jealous Aww. Aww. <laughs> that, <laughs> that we didn't get to do it. But now having dug into Mad Max, completing one movie, we're nearing the end of the second movie. I am so glad that it worked out the way that it did. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah, I think I learned so much more about the Mad Max series than I ever would have about the Harry Potter series. Mm. And as magical as the world of Harry Potter is, there's a feeling and a style and a bit of grunge to the Mad Max series that, I mean, I feel like we would do it justice for the Harry Potter series, but I think it just fits our personalities a bit better to focus on the series that we settled on and let you guys handle, <laughs> you know, the robes and the wands and the <laughs> flourishy. All that wand waving nonsense. Language. <laughs> There'll be no yeah. foolish wand waving exactly. in my class. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. You can exactly. keep your spells. We'll, we'll stick with the high octane <laughs> action. Gotcha. <laughs> I know. I, I will stay away from all this leather clad and like all the all, the, all, this, all this leather and uh, fire and, like, and all those explosions. It's a little intense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there were some sort of series crossover, I definitely feel like the wizards of the fictional Mad Max world probably didn't necessarily notice the apocalypse. <laughs> I don't I feel think like they so. keep themselves separated <laughs> enough from the muggle world that they'd be just fine. 
And if they did, they just kind of passively like, what are these muggles doing? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> what has become of their world? Like, is this normal? I'm like, I don't remember all this leather. <laughs> and I mean, the wizards live a medieval sort of lifestyle yeah. anyways. So yeah, I, I don't think they would have noticed a difference. I actually, I would be really interested in what like wizard culture in Australia would be since yeah absolutely kind of just knowing that it was a british colony for a long time like i'm not you probably have people who were students or alumni of hogwarts that ended up there but i'd be really interested i wonder if they like built their own school what's their like community like Ooh, right mm. i just remembered the british <laughs> huh? liked to ship their undesirables yeah, down to I australia say, i like wonder if pre-azkaban it's gonna be azkaban people like yeah azkaban's like a full. super azkaban it's a lestrange it was a it was a lestrange yeah, no branch like their prison got full like they, we and, need to transfer them somewhere yeah. else oh man <laughs> send them to the outback there yeah you go. something like that Let's see you guys do with that. The heat. That was so interesting. <laughs> Let's see you wear robes in that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wearing robes in Australia. No, they probably. You know, you'd have. Uh-huh. They'd have such a different style and everything. Most likely, I would mm-hmm. think. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. I feel like it would be more vulgar. Probably. Not so much them shouting phrases in Latin. Them just kind of shouting very angry sounding. <laughs> curses mm-hmm. and i mean like i don't mean like curses as the kind of spell i mean like curses is like slang yeah, yeah. curses like you know <laughs> their their version of wingardium levioso would be like get the f up there <laughs> or something like that that's my favorite <laughs> I'm so I think I just broke right my now. cardinal rule, didn't I? You totally did. <laughs> Rick's not allowed to do Australian accents. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> no, no, that was he's pretty been great. Banned. Oh, <laughs> I think wonderful. we let this one slide, though. Yeah. Okay, that was pretty wonderful. Oh, <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> this Australian wizard. Yes, uh, I love it. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Speaking of rules and people being bound by things, I think that's a good transition into the minute proper because the first shot that we get of this minute is a tracking shot across the Lord Humongous's vehicle and right front and center behind the strung up bodies of the scouts from earlier in the movie mm. is Wes decked out in his war paint and his feathers and he has a few uh, added elements to his costume namely some chains down by his wrist and a collar around his neck leading to a chain leash held by the lord humongous this is a little it's a little disturbing in my opinion (laughs) but but i was talking when victoria and i were watching this earlier i was talking about like the lord humongous calls these guys his war dogs and and whenever whenever wes chased after um Max earlier he said he what do you call him bad like a bad little puppy call him a puppy yep (laughs) and so i'm not it's like this Makes sense, I guess, in the context of, of what we built of, here. Of dog and puppies and yeah, whatever. He's on a leash. Right? He's his pet. Yeah. Oh, oh that's so It's weird. nice that the Lord Humongous can pick a motif and really stick yeah. with it. Oh, yeah. He's, he's committed. <laughs> it's very cohesive. He's pretty committed. But yeah, this is what happens to bad little puppies. They get put on a leash. <laughs> I mean, I would think they'd get a muzzle. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, if anybody in this movie needs a muzzle, it's Wes. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's what he's missing. He's missing a muscle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I gotta say, I know that chaining somebody up like a dog is never a comfortable situation. Depends who you are. 
Very true. <laughs> Wes looks particularly uncomfortable. Yes. The way yeah, he's, he's not happy. like half standing, half kneeling, and being forced to lean backwards. Mm-hmm. I am uncomfortable just looking at yes. him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, he's- He's purposely, like, not being made to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. This is punishment, right? Exactly. That's why he's You're holding, not to like... enjoy this. Okay, is the chain... Sorry, I'm letting the, the minute run in the background here, and it looks like the chain is actually, like, despite the fact that Humongous is holding it, it looks like it's wrapped around his steering wheel, so if he let it go, like, Wes would have a little bit more, like... The slack? Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. So this is very deliberate, that he's, like, pulling him back. Yeah. Because, like, uh, being pulled, like, okay, yeah. like, being a, <laughs> being a girl and having a ponytail all the time... Uh-huh. You ever, get a, you ever have someone like <laughs> grab you by the ponytail and like, yank you back? That's how that would feel. Like you just, would be pulled back. Like it's very uncomfortable. Like it's the worst. Like it just, it just, uh, it <laughs> can't just, say I know that feeling. No, you wouldn't. But it just throws you like off your <laughs> equilibrium, and you're just like you're gonna fall back, and I you're gotcha. gonna do whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, that's terrible. That would yeah. not feel good at all it's a very it's a very he i mean he's in a very submissive position here Mm -hmm. and i think that's really the main point because when the lord humongous seeks to discipline his raiders he does it in a very public manner yeah and so forcing wes to rear back and sit up straight it's making wes more visible to the other raiders around him and as i'm sure wes would like to slink down and be a bit more incognito exactly yeah Humongous is forcing him to, no, you're going to serve as a warning Mm -hmm. for people who want to steal my car and cause things to explode. Yeah. (laughs) There's some really nice editing here. As the camera moves up to the Humongous, Humongous, uh, he motions with his hand. Mm -hmm. And the way the editing is, we switch back over to Max in the rig, who seems to be responding by starting up the engine and revving up. Yeah. So really nice editing about signals and response. Mm. Mm. You can really get the sense that everyone is building. The tension is just rising. The the mercury in the metaphorical yeah. thermostat is just slowly bubbling up. And by the end of this minute, we're going to reach that point where, boom, it's on. And it's going to start a 20-minute action scene that's going to mm-hmm. take us to the end of the movie. <laughs> but now we're just getting into that last minute of simmering and i like that you brought us back into the compound because as max is starting up the rig we get to see on full display that they have fully reinforced that cow catcher on the front of the rig because i mean when they were driving it in that's one of the major ways that the lord among us was able to hurt the rig so of course they're going to throw a big old steel plate on there make sure that uh that doesn't happen again yeah beef it up yeah they've definitely like there's a they've done a lot uh i don't know how much we can see in this particular minute beyond the front of the car but or the front of this rig but they uh they definitely took a lesson from the attack on the rig when it was coming into the compound earlier in the movie and they mm-hmm. kind of prepare themselves like we're gonna go back out there like we need to make sure that this can't like these things can't happen again yeah, <laughs> it's it's a fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, you can't get fooled again. Yep. Situation. Yep. I know I said that wrong. I love saying it wrong. 
but uh, but it, it seems appropriate for this because yeah, like this is their exactly. final stand. We're we're at this point of I I almost Victoria and I texted you earlier called this like the calm before the storm is just as cliche as mm-hmm. that is, but like we definitely have this moment of like stillness before everything is about to go down. And I like that we have the opportunity to see Max up there in the cab sitting behind the steering wheel. And he's got this look of determination on his face. And we touched on this a bit in yesterday's episode, but I want to bring it up again, that Max is not doing this job out of the kindness of his heart because he wants to save the people in the compound. This job of driving the rig is his ticket out of there. Yeah. It's a way for him to retain his pride and honor by not riding in the ambulance vehicle and not be unfortunately left behind should they decide to not allow him to ride in that ambulance. Was it earlier? Yeah, I think it's earlier in this week, too. He had that moment where he says, like, I don't have a choice Mm -hmm. when he gets asked about his change of heart. And yeah, I totally see that is like this is his only option. Like it's this or risk being left behind. Yeah. Having nothing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He didn't necessarily have a change of heart. His heart is still in the same place it was before. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) He's not a hero by any means. At least not uh, right. in the, not really. Anti-hero. Well, it's interesting, like, in the eyes of these people, I suppose that this is a heroic act, but he's not doing it from that place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is it more of an anti-hero? I, I don't know if it counts as... Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I would definitely vote anti-hero. Because, like, he's, because uh, I don't know, yeah. As, as you said, like, it, he's not yeah. doing it out of, like, the kindness of his heart. He's, he's doing it because it benefits himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's heroic to them, so it's heroic enough that like they're gonna, they're gonna let him do. It. Yeah, they're the gonna legend of the road it. warrior. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. legend will be be something that will be told, but uh, he doesn't care. <laughs> like he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, I like that you brought up the legend though, because there's a huge difference between what the stories say about someone versus how that someone actually is. Yeah, and we've had this kind of underlying understanding throughout this whole movie, that everything that we're seeing is just a retelling by someone who was there at the Mm. time. But these little moments where it's just Max, I feel like that's where we get to peek into the truth of it. Yeah. You know, Max isn't sitting there in the presence of the gyro captain or the feral child at the moment. And so these little instances, these little flashes of us seeing him specifically, I feel like that's where the truth can be found. Yeah, and so that's something that's like, we as the audience are privy to, but no one around Max gets to see that vulnerable. Now, I don't want to call it vulnerability, but th- that kind of decisiveness. Hmm. Speaking of heroes, though, in the next shot, we see that the warrior woman, hero in question, <laughs> is standing up on top of the tanker. And as she leans down over the fortifications she's standing behind, she sees that the feral child is hiding behind the cab of the Mac. And so she calls out, Move that kid, get rid of him. And there's an extra little bit in between move that kid and get rid of him. She calls out to someone specifically, and I can't for the life of me figure out who she says because it's not in the subtitles. Huh. But I like that she catches the feral kid because he's a sneaky little bugger. Yeah, yeah. he's very And he gets sneaky. into places. Yeah. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> that little kid who has to pretend to be like this, this feral kid does a really good job. He does such a good job. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I can believe that you're a feral kid. <laughs> I know. I'm very impressed with the, with, the, with the acting this kid does. 
It's like the kid was kind of told, like, hey, be kind of wild and crazy, but throw some monkey things in there, too. Because, like, <laughs> when he throws in the thing, he kind of, like, makes that face like a monkey when he, when he gives him that little, like, uh, cranky music thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's very monkey-like, the way, like, he's so well, oh, kind of overjoyed it by it. It makes me think of um, when he snarls at the gyro captain whenever he's, like, touching the, the blades of the airplane earlier in the movie, too. Yeah. And he, like, growls at him, and he makes this, like, he like pushes his nose up and he like snorts like like a like a warthog or something. Yeah, it's like, it's it's like, like this is a very monkey. interesting sound that this kid is like, like yeah like be wild kid. Th- there's this bit of like inhumanness to him. You 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 said he reminded you of Donnie from the Wild Thornberrys. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> which is which is great. <laughs> Except he doesn't have the crazy gibberish babble that Donnie it, does. Well, if this was animated, it would be Flea. Like, what, flea. flea. Voice flea. by Flea. Flea. Voice by Flea. <laughs> feral kid. Uh. I really like this scene with the feral child. It's a break in tension. We've had this building up mm-hmm. for a few scenes now. We have this small little human moment. It's even a little comedic. You know, we love seeing the feral child try to escape these grown men Mm. and he's successful for a moment and then he gets snatched it's a little bit funny and then we return to the tension building Mm -hmm. so i really appreciate this this little slice of relief yeah let's take a breath here for a moment before things really get going Mm -hmm. yes i appreciate that the warrior woman does not allow the feral child to just run roughshod over their plans she is very serious in this moment she is fully cognizant of what they are about to undertake. Mm. And so she's not going to let the feral child just hang out wherever he wants. And so she makes dang sure that he's, well, taken care of for the moment before they start moving out. (laughs) She strikes me as the type who, in the life of the compound before Max joins, didn't really put up with any crap from the feral child. There are others. I think Arky's character is a little more indulgent, perhaps, mm-hmm. towards the feral child. The warrior woman does not strike me as such. No. I think she was probably always that hard on the feral child or bossy. Very no-nonsense. Not really sure how. Yeah. Yeah, no-nonsense. Yeah. I keep thinking about, like, the especially around because of this feral child, like, I get really interested in what what the lives must have been like for all of these folk before this sort of post-apocalypse that they're in now. Like, I know the first Mad Max movie takes place, like, before this, like, kind of wasteland bit that we're in. And so it just, it strikes me as... How, how, yeah, like, how far, how far they far, Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Like, the warrior woman seems like this strong, no-nonsense person, but, like, where do you think she was at before this before this went down? You were talking about um oh I, they just they you guys just said his name earlier the the one that he has on the leash yeah <laughs> you you were asking like what was he and I said he's a school teacher <laughs> before the apocalypse he was just a regular school teacher things changed change things changed real fast uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's funny you should mention school teacher because when we were wondering about his background obviously. Vernon Wells said, oh, well, he's a Vietnam veteran, but we posited that after he got home from Vietnam that he became a gymnast teacher. Oh, okay. Because how else would he know to do all of those fancy flips and acrobatic maneuvers that he does along the movie? I like that. He's a gym teacher. He's a gym teacher. (laughs) He's the one showing them how to do the parallel bars and the rings (laughs) and all that stuff. 
That's hilarious. I'm into it. (laughs) I could definitely see the warrior woman being a high level executive in an energy company because she's got a lot of great leadership Mm -hmm. skills and she's very forceful in her resolve. It also gives her some reason to be here. Yeah. She would come with Papagallo. I like that. I'd like to say that she has leadership skills and she's very capable as opposed to saying that she's bossy. And- <laughs> <laughs> yes, just make it sound Thank positive you. instead of negative. Well, exactly. I think in a situation like this, you have to have like that commanding presence or someone yeah. who can take that, who can handle that position because, I don't know, you need you need the strength to keep everybody kind of calm and in line. Mm-hmm. It's not, I don't, I don't know, cooler heads are going to prevail in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. having her be the stern, like, get this kid out of here. Like we got to focus on this mission that we're about to go on. Like there is no option. It's success or death, right? Like, yeah, (laughs) that's it. I don't know. Mm. That makes sense to me. Yeah. She's great. She's definitely one of the best characters in this movie. Mm -hmm. Some of the more overlooked characters are definitely the two gentlemen that are trying to catch the feral child. And I enjoy in this little scene of them chasing the feral child around that Max is just sitting in the cab of the Mac and he's looking through the back window and looking through the side window at all of this action happening around him. And you get the sense that he's like, all right, let's, let's wrap up this tomfoolery. We've got a show to get on the road. He's just like waiting. Literally on the road. Uh-huh. <laughs> if he had a watch, he'd look at it and like tap the, the, the surface. Like, all right, let's get the show on the road. Like, do this absolutely so eventually the feral child is caught up by the mechanics assistant and the mechanics assistant carries the feral child over and hands him off to arky whitley's character and she does a just top-notch effort she doesn't succeed but you can tell that she really tries to hold on to that kid but he's an eight-year-old he's like <laughs> and he's feral, and, he's so. yeah, and he's wild <laughs> thrashing around uh-huh. you ever try to like control a kid that wants to just throw their dead weight at you you're not holding no. on to that kid no, there's, there's no way to the floor and take off <laughs> he's not even doing a dead weight thing though he's like really like thrashing and like struggling like we're gonna all he's just all limbs yeah he's like nope give me out you of here. can't stop me you're not gonna hold me mm-hmm. <laughs> we go from arky struggling with the feral child to another shot outside the compound there's a pretty big spoiler in this shot i'll let everyone (laughs) find it on their own i love that (laughs) that's a great joke julia just Uh. julia just rolled her eyes at me But from rising up behind the Lord Humongous' vehicle, we get another shot of him taking out his revolver and loading it with the final rounds from his fine wooden case there. And I really only have one major issue with this shot, and it has to do with how the Lord Humongous loads the bullets into the cylinder. Because when he snaps it closed, he doesn't put the cylinder in a position where that first trigger pull will result in a gunshot. There is an open chamber when he closes that cylinder. So he's going to pull that trigger and it's going to go click. (laughs) Nothing. He's going to have to pull the trigger a second time before a bullet actually rotates into position. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder that that's so weird to me. I wonder why he doesn't resolve that right now. Yeah. I'm willing to bet it was a goof that it was a production goof that kill Nielsen couldn't see very well because of the metal hockey Mm -hmm. mask that he was wearing. I just feel like if they had taken just a moment more to do a reshoot, it would have been a tiny detail that they would have fixed, but it stands as it stands as a tiny little pet peeve for someone (laughs) like me. I like the case that he keeps his, his revolver in though. The like, 
kind of red styrofoam inside and it's like molded yeah it's very nice mm-hmm. it doesn't look like i mean this it's is something he probably, i mean this is world. yeah yeah i mean even with the there's a picture on the top of the inside of the case that's like a very old sepia tone like a man and a woman still like old photograph that uh Mm-hmm. kind of adds to this like this is probably i mean it makes it feel like this is like an old something he's had like a long time or something that was passed down to him it's or like his like one that. possession from yeah his it's old con- life. exactly it connects him to his like previous life some family heirloom. like a like a family yes heirloom. exactly uh, i also like yeah. i just i wanted to make a note i think when you did your introduction you called you mentioned you called the lord humongous his dark like the dark, the dark lord, lord in one moment <laughs> And let me tell you, I totally, I totally get the like Sauron vibe, (laughs) especially because of like the way the mask stands and just his imposing. I just finished playing Shadow of Mordor and there is a villain character that is a like one of the lackeys of Sauron who much like this guy, like has too little armor for his huge imposing frame. Uh, and they call him the Tower, and that's exactly what Lord Humongous reminds me of. Well, well you know, it's it's about time that men have to wear the, <laughs> the, skimpy, the, outfits. the, the skimpy outfits. You know, usually it's like the women, like their armor is like a, a tiny, tiny breast piece, uh-huh. and like a little loin piece over like an underwear piece, and like that's it. He's like, all like, this is all I need: some leather straps, a good hockey mask, protect I'm my good. face. I just need to protect my face, <laughs> protect my junk. Yeah, and I'm fine. <laughs> and then, like, I don't care about anything else. <laughs> yeah, if we go by the rules set up in, I think mostly Japanese role playing games, uh-huh. he has the highest armor level rating <laughs> yes. equipment oh, yeah. that you could oh, ever yeah. get in any game. <laughs> yeah, of course, legit. The skimpier the armor, the higher the, the defense oh, rating. So, so he must be reason, yes. impenetrable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's the kind of character that you can't defeat him by normal means. You'd have to, like, I don't know, run headlong into him with a Mack mm-hmm. truck or something like that. <laughs> Got to yeah, just ball in here. Play, play, playing chicken. Just, just with a truck. In, but exactly. Yeah, seems legit. Yeah, that, that should work mm-hmm. out fine for him. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I appreciate the detail inside that red case. You can't really see it because the gun is covering up most of it, but there is an emblem up on that top half, that's a skull and crossbones. Yeah. It's a totenkopf from the the old German army. And I love the inclusion of that because the totenkopf is very similar to the dark mark from Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that's missing Which is the snake wonder, coming out of his mouth. Exactly. Can you imagine how crazy it would be for the Lord Humongous to be a dark wizard? <gasps> he's a dead Because eater. he is this he's, gigantic he's guy. <laughs> wears very little. I mean... Most wizards, they show up and they're wearing robes or they're wearing, you know, shirts and pants. And you imagine the Battle of Hogwarts, all of a sudden the dark, wispy smoke comes in and in pops the Lord Humongous in the middle of the And he just walks in out of the fog, very like Dumbledore and Sorcerer's Stone style. And it's just like this imposing, <laughs> yeah. like, dun, dun, dun. Those little wizards, they would... They'd run, those little kids, they'd be like, what is this? This is way scarier than, than Voldemort. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Riddle, who's that? It's all about the Lord Humongous now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure in this supposed history of our, I'm pretty sure if we tweet at J.K. Rowling and ask about Australian wizards, she'd probably have something to say about it. But 
I can see the Lord Humongous being like the Australian Voldemort and <laughs> the little Australian kids growing up after defeating him and they'd go to England and they'd talk to Harry and be like, oh, you had to fight Voldemort? Well, let me tell you about our guy. <laughs> he's like yeah. leather and he's, he's huge. How tall, how tall do you think the Lord Humongous is? Like he looks like he cuts a big imposing figure when we see him. Just he towers. <laughs> the actor is six foot three. Okay. So he's a little bit shorter than Bruce Spence by about four inches, but he still is quite the imposing mm-hmm. figure just because he is six foot three of muscle. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> like, he is a solid two meters high of just oh, raw physical power. It's just a shame he can't load a revolver the correct way. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh. See, in, in, a, in a Clint Eastwood movie, that would that would matter. You're supposed to know how many bullets mm-hmm. you have. You wouldn't be very lucky. No. Exactly. <laughs> Cutting back inside the compound, the rig starts to pull away, and we cut over to Arky Whitley, and she is trying to hold on to the feral child, but he breaks free, and it's just like, Arky, you had one job. <laughs> hold on to the kid, get him in the bus, and didn't quite do it. You know, work on your grip. And then we see the feral child scurry back towards the rig and hop on. And we've had some scenes in this movie mm-hmm. where they use sped up footage. <laughs> and it's quite egregious in how obvious it is. I think, and I'm not certain, so I'm very interested to hear what you guys think. I'm pretty sure there is the ever so slightest amount of sped up footage here. Not that they doubled the speed or quadrupled the speed, mm-hmm. but just ever so slightly made it look faster. What do you guys think? I did not catch that at all. Yeah, it just looked weird to me. If they did, they did a very good job of making that blend into the surrounding footage. Yeah, because I know I know when it happens in other places in the movie, I, I definitely, I, I pointed them out, Victoria, yeah, yeah, when we were watching the movie earlier. Obvious. He does seem, yes, there's that moment, it's like right when he grabs the side of the rig and like pulls himself up that it looks just a little too, now that I'm watching it like this, it looks a little too quick. Yeah. Interesting. We had a moment like this in Ferris, just like one little moment where the film is sped up and it's, Victoria, I don't know if you'll remember this, but after Jeannie kicks Rooney in the face. (laughs) She goes up the stairs. Yeah, she runs up the stairs and John Hughes wasn't satisfied that she was like running away fast enough, like in her tailor. So they (laughs) speed it up just enough. So she like really hoofs it up the staircase in like just a couple seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can understand them wanting to make it look like the feral child is running faster to get on the truck without actually telling an eight-year-old, hey, we're going to be driving this truck, jump on. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know? Yeah, very good point. But they did it very subtly in this instance. Mm -hmm. It's at that point that we see Papagallo start to pull out behind the rig. The feral child settles in behind the cab of the Mack truck. And we get to sit up on top of the tanker as the rig rumbles towards the open gate because the bus has moved out Mm -hmm. of the way and just in the last second the last smidgen of this minute we see that rig pass through the gate yep and we cut it off there there you go you guys have exciting stuff coming up next week (laughs) Uh, yeah next week's gonna be really good yeah (laughs) yes because as i said before pretty much the next 15, 20 minutes is one solid action scene. This is the biggest chase that we've had in the series so far. Granted, we've only covered two movies, but (laughs) even so, biggest action scene we've had so far. 
Like, yep. Like we've had multi-week action scenes. No, this is going to be the next month. There you go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Gonna take up that's everything. right. It is. It's going to take a month mm-hmm. to cover this action scene. And I, I'm very excited <laughs> for it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> but before we can start looking to the future, I think it's a good time for us to look to the past and reflect back on what brought us to this point. And I feel like I use that phrasing a lot when it comes to our week end recaps. But you know what? If it ain't broke, make it into a reboot. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) This week was a lot of setup. We didn't get a ton of frantic movement or story-altering dialogue. In fact, we started off this week essentially with Max just being flown back to the compound by the gyro captain. And then while Max was asleep, he was cleaned up, his wounds were dressed, and then he woke up in the compound ambulance. Mm -hmm. I really like the gyro captain. I think I want to start there. When he shows up at the beginning of the movie... I was so delighted because, first of all, like I right away recognized <laughs> Bruce Spence and was like, I like this guy a lot. I've seen him in a handful of things and he's always like a very similar kind of just like, I don't want to say full of himself, but he's just this kind of quirky guy. But I really love mm. that guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, his character is like the best. Uh, One of the best characters. Him and, movie, and the feral child, I think, are, my, are probably my favorite characters in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what do you think about Max? I mean... Wh- I don't dislike Max. No, like Gary sent me a message. He's all like, what is this pretty Mel Gibson that I'm looking at? <laughs> and I was like, what? And I'm like, that's, that's how I remember him. And I'm like, I remember watching like Beyond Thunderdome and like early his early career stuff and like Lead the Weapon even later on. And like, he was a good looking guy. It's only nowadays that you look at him and you're just like, oh, like what, well, ha- what happened? I think I've seen more. <laughs> I think I've seen more of like modern Mel Gibson yeah, than, than like Gibson. early stuff. Yeah, yeah. So when I watched this, I, I think I even asked you earlier, like, I didn't realize that he's only like 25 in this movie. Yeah, he's really young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just like, like, I don't know. I just wasn't expecting babyface Noel Gibson. <laughs> it, it delights me. And uh, on the same, on the same hand, like in, on the other hand, I could definitely see him being like, if this movie, if this movie, like not a new Mad Max, like they did with Fury Road, but if like this age Mel Gibson, like this kind of movie, I, I could totally see this being like Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think he would be a good fit. I don't know. I, I I, didn't think, I didn't realize, I don't know. I think because of his age, he definitely has that like, Mel Gibson at the time could have been that like, he's that pretty boy, not pretty boy, but like that pretty boy action star. I mean, like Lethal Weapon is kind mm. of, kind of banks on that. Like he is like this good looking rogue, doesn't play by the rules type of cop that has uh-huh. to like, that just kind of has this long hair that's definitely like not professional looking and just kind of. He's the he's the guy that everyone that a lot of women were like sure. fawning over back in that that era. It's just I don't know. He's <laughs> just, he's fallen very far. <laughs> yeah. Poor Mel. Young Mel Gibson is much more palatable because yeah. it's before the time where we all realized how awful, yes. his awful his like, human beings. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was so the things that he says and the things that he does just. Oh, just, it oh, just. Mm. What are you doing? You know, I was so shocked I, when I saw this trailer come up 
and I've never saw the first one. It's that uh, it's that com- comedic movie that has Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg in it. Oh, Daddy's um, Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daddy's, Daddy's Home. Daddy's Home too. And, and now the second sequel, it's their dads, and their dads are played yep. by John Lithgow, who I absolutely yes. love and adore, and, and Mel Gibson, Gibson uh-huh. which is so bizarre. This is like the most bizarre cast <laughs> ever. I, it almost is worth going to see just to see like where this is gonna go with Mel Gibson being like just the train wreck that he is <laughs> and bouncing off of people. Yeah, like John I will Lithgow. admit we're very tempted to go right? see daddy's home Just too, even though we never saw daddy's <laughs> home. Yeah. Me neither. I would go. This new one looks fun. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just to see like, well, how is this going to work with these four weird people yeah. in this movie? <laughs> it's like, I don't understand. Like it just doesn't work. But it, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I like John Lithgow, so that's, that's a plus. At John least. Lithgow and Will Ferrell as like John Lithgow son. as yeah as I, Will I'm Ferrell's dad so is kind of it's kind of great. <laughs> oh, the fact that he's an adult and they still kiss on the lips it's like uh, oh that's uh-huh. weird weird stop it no <laughs> it's like no wonder Mel Gibson's characters looking at you like you're yeah. freaks <laughs> it's like because you're a little weird it's a little weird. No, but I don't know. It was yeah. nice watching watching this movie at least for a second time. Once I sat down and watched it, I was like, "Oh yeah, I totally remember watching this because it wasn't that long ago that I watched it the first time." Mm. Uh, and I'm the kind of person that I've said it on our other shows before, in which my mom was really lenient on what I was allowed to watch. So I mean, Beyond Thunderdome came out in 1985, which was the year I was born. Uh-huh. But I remember watching that movie like prior to being 10 years old. Like I was really young. Sure. I remember Tina Turner being in. My mom was a big Tina Turner fan. <laughs> uh, so it was just like, you know, it was kind of like whatever. I watched all those 80s action dystopian movies like why a dystopian has nothing on like the dystopian adult movies that were coming out in the 80s like this one and running man and i'm pretty sure oh god there's so many others that i could probably name off yeah but, like it's, it's a totally different feel than the dystopian movies that are coming out nowadays sure. they're banking mm-hmm. on like the ya angle like hunger games and that kind of thing so it's fun i, li- I like these movies from this era 80s movies are great <laughs> absolutely they're the, they're the best speaking of young people the next chunk of this week that we got was max sitting up and getting dressed because the feral child was holding on to his clothes and equipment yeah. for him while he was unconscious and it's at that point that max uses the feral child to step out of the ambulance vehicle and we get to hear Papagallo sharing the plan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one last time with the dwellers. Yeah, I like that when uh, when Max left, he did take it upon him. Like, they asked him, um, oh, who's going to drive the, the rig? And he's like, well, I am. Like, I like I like he's he's got this very like he's very self-assured, you know? Mm-hmm. Would you I mean, I don't know what the dynamics exactly of this group are. Like, is he would you call him the leader or is he just like kind of taking charge in this like for this particular instance? What is his role? I don't know. I'm interested in the dynamics of this group. And I don't think that's explored a whole hell of a lot. Papagallo is definitely the leader. There is some information in the screenplay that they did not put in the movie that talks about Papagallo coming from the the energy company with like maps and information on how to refine oil coming to this place like with a purpose and building it up. So I think he's definitely their sure. leader. Okay, that yeah, I can see that. Yeah, he, so I I just I like that he's taken it upon himself. Like, oh, I'll be the one to drive the the rig, especially because he knows he knows the truth of this thing. Like, this is the bait. 
Mm-hmm. And then Max's Max's line, he's like, "Well, if it's all the same to you, I'll drive the rig." But he yeah. still has like his slight like it, accent to it, uh-huh. which, is, which is pretty great. Early, that early Mel Gibson yeah. accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting choice of words. The phrase "if it's all the same to you," and it's like, "Well, no, it's not all the same <laughs> yeah. to them. It's literally their survival." Yes. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, he walks up and he's all casual about, "Hey, oh hey, you know, How guys, would I do you this? Know, if it's okay with you, I could do that." And blah blah. And it's like, dude, if this doesn't work, they are all dead. So. You can bravado all you want. Just no underlying this situation. They're all facing complete obliteration. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is a serious, this is a serious thing. Yep. I feel like he understands that. He's just, you know, playing it cool. And it it might not be the best time to play it cool. (laughs) He's got the leather jacket. I don't think he has any other setting. (laughs) <laughs> like so the leather jacket yeah. like just kind of screams cool right is that what that's supposed oh, to do so cool so cool. oh absolutely yeah and i'm glad you brought that up because that is pretty much what happened on wednesday and then when we look over at thursday pa- pagallo took some time and a very short amount of time to consider max's i guess demand and then he turned around and said okay sure and that is what kicks off the final gearing up montage of people getting ready folks getting up on the tanker leaping into their vehicles getting organized and that brought us to today's Mm -hmm. minute yeah i'm into it i like this moment when everyone's getting ready actually i have a question i have a question it's just like a weird question but like when people are getting into the bus why are they going through the window oh my gosh question Yes, we talked about that for a few minutes, how it doesn't make any sense. Buses have doors. (laughs) Yeah, and the crazy thing is, we never actually see anyone go through that window, so we got all worked up for what is essentially nothing. (laughs) But I think the best idea that we had was that since the door to get into the bus was pressed up against the tire wall and Ah. the back door to the bus was filled with barrels that that side window would be really the best way to get inside. But as we took a closer look at that plan, it would have just been so awkward because you'd climb in head first and you'd be reaching around and your legs would be flailing out behind you. It would just be very undignified. What I don't know if school buses are different in Australia, but like, don't school buses usually have, have like a ha- well? They also have a hatch on top. There are hatches on top, and then usually there's a side. Some so some have a side door even. Uh-huh. But I think that's more of the yeah. modern ones. Wouldn't be that far back. I don't sure. Think. And plus, this is another. This is yeah. Australia. So I don't, I don't know. know if they're different. Yeah, this bus was an antique by the time they <laughs> yeah. made this movie, and so <laughs> it didn't have the roof vents, and I'm probably didn't even have the pop out yeah, windows I'm just thinking on the about side. That, like it the was emergency very rudimentary. Kind of deal. You know, I think. That brings us to the end of this week, Gary and Victoria. It has been great having you on. I feel like this meeting of the podcasters has been a bit long overdue. Yeah, I'm glad this happened. I'm so, I was so excited. <laughs> I really delight in doing guest spots, whether they're for movies that I've seen or not, because like I just, especially with the community that Movies by Minutes has built up, like I always have a great time talking to other hosts. I'm always afraid what's going to happen if one of these days you have to watch a movie for a minute by minute thing and you don't like it. I like everything. <laughs> I don't know if that's I true. I can't stand Batman and I went on Batman Minute. That was interesting. For Batman? For the first one? Yes. But for yes, um, Batman Begins. Batman Begins. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot the, the Dark Knight Minute. Yes. The Nolan uh-huh. one's not the Keaton one. Well, both, of the, both of those shows are running right now. 
okay. Yep. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I can't stand that movie. So I just, I've just made the best of it. Oh. Yep. We were on, <laughs> those ba- those we were on a set of minutes. Were like, it's, it's like rose-colored glasses thing. You go and you watch them when they came out, and you're like, oh, they're great. And then you go back and in retrospect, and you're like, oh, they're not that great. <laughs> yeah. We very specifically were on a set of minutes that did not feature Bruce Wayne as Batman. He was still just a rich college kid learning how to be a ninja oh. at the time. So we got to have a couple of cool conversations about fear and ninja mm. training and things like that. So it was pretty fun. But yeah, Julia cannot stand Batman. He's just the ultimate Mary Sue character. <laughs> I, I, I see that. Wait, this, wait, all Batman or just those Batman ones? All, all Batman. All Batman. All Batman. I don't like, like Batman in general. Batman. Oh my. I don't. I don't like the character. Oh, oh gosh. It's, it's like crazy to me. <laughs> there's, there's, there's an ongoing joke at my house that every room in my house has a Batman. Is that true? Yes, it is. Oh. No, it, it was true wow. in, my old, in my old place. No matter where you were in the corner of the house, you could turn in one spot and at least spot like four or five Batmans just wow. in like one place. Well, you've got a lot of... <laughs> wow. Victoria, you're a I collector. Have a of, I have a lot so. of collectibles. So there'd be like... Like there's like uh. a Lego Batman that's like hanging off of one thing or there's like a poster, a mini poster or like there's like Batman stuff everywhere in my place. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I love Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy to me. I thought you were just... <laughs> bad-mouthing the, the, the Christopher <laughs> Nolan ones. And I was just like, oh, well, yeah. I'm like, yeah, in retrospect, those but aren't Batman. as great as you think they are. But Batman, what? <laughs> I, can't, yeah. I can't say anything bad about yeah. Batman. I'm sorry. I don't know. Batman's not... Yeah. I'm kind of indifferent toward Batman. He's not my favorite character. Well, I'm a, I'm a DC girl more than a Marvel girl. Sure. And if I had to choose between Superman and Batman, I'm going to pick Batman over Superman every time. <laughs> yeah, there are currently, as you mentioned... Two Batman podcasts running concurrently, Batman at 89 and The Dark Knight Minute, and of course, myriad other movies by minute shows. I think at the time of this recording, there are approximately 74 mm-hmm. oh my. movies by minute podcasts on moviesbyminutes.com. Yeah. Gary and Victoria, if people want to hear more of your podcasts, what is the best way that they can do that? Mm, DuelingGenre.com is probably the easiest place to find us because we've got all of our episodes for the first season of Harry Potter Minute and for the entire run of Ferris Bueller's Minute Offer over there. And then, of course, we've got like listener groups on Facebook, the Safe Ferris Society and then Harry Potter Minute and the Listener's Army for people to come and like talk to us about the shows and about the, the movies and their kind of feelings and opinions and all that good stuff over there. Excellent. And highly recommend doing so. I've been listening since day one, and so I can give it my wholehearted recommendation. I think you guys are doing some really good work over there, so keep it up. People go check out our new season, because we are currently talking about uh, about the second Harry Potter movie, and I could not be more delighted. <laughs> It's my, nice. it's my, it's my least favorite of the Harry Potter movies, I think, and yet I'm still so excited <laughs> to talk about stuff like Gildroy Lockhart. Well, yeah, I'm also and, mostly because of Lockhart. I, I think, think mostly because of Lockhart. Uh, <laughs> For sure. I think he carries that movie. <laughs> he, 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 he makes it that just that much more charming. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, just his smile Kenneth alone. Kenneth definitely went, has oh, that Dobby. way. We get Dobby. And we get Lucius Malfoy for the first time. There's some really good stuff in the second movie, even though it is my least favorite. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. Spectacular. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy. 
and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 75 of The Road Warrior. Have a great weekend. Mischief Managed!